is the NFL overexposed? And the future of ad agencies may not be advertising at all. This is episode 74 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom, is the NFL overexposed? I don't know. Is it? It's entirely possible. This is from a piece that uh, came from the Wall Street Journal. And the uh, subtitle is Overexposure, Not Anthem Protests. Blame for NFL's ratings woes. Television executives say flurry of new football offerings has backfired. It's just simple mathematics. I love it how it's just simple mathematics after the fact, but never before. (laughs) (laughs) So a couple of things from here. Uh, There's been ratings erosion. Uh, Total NFL ratings through the first seven weeks have declined 5% compared with last year and about 15% versus the same stretch in 2015, which was a big season for the league. Now, the thing about this is, at the same time, um, there's been a flurry of new offerings, an increase of Thursday night games, games available on Verizon, on Amazon, highlights here and there and everywhere, and an NFL subscription pass. So there's a lot more ways to get more uh, games and bits of games than there used to be. Um, So, uh, a comment made here, if the ratings erosion continues, media executives could pressure the league for better economic terms, which I think will never happen. Um, but they won't get a shot for a while, conveniently. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the league's major TV contracts don't come up for renewal for four or five years, which in media time is is called eternity. Collectively, major media partners spend about $7.3 billion a year on NFL rights. So uh, what's your overall take on this? Wow, 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 wow. Well, I don't know if the logic of that argument makes too much sense. I mean, too much football in too many places is what's, pulling people, you know, the TV ratings down. It doesn't really square with the behaviors of viewers, right? Because, look, I seriously doubt that streaming on Amazon and Verizon has had much of an effect. And mm-hmm. getting updates on social media, I mean, that's preventing me from tuning into a game. That's ridiculous. I think the problem is, I think it's generational. I think, you see, football is a live event. And in the Mm -hmm. old days, people would sit around all day Sunday to watch football (laughs) on TV. (laughs) It's not something the younger generation is inclined to do. I mean, they are working their asses off Monday through Friday. When Mm -hmm. they do have a day off, they're going to spend it with friends. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they've dropped their cable package and they do want to see a game, then they just have to find like a local pub or something that's broadcasting the game. I think that's the real change that's going on here. You know, whether it's happening is quickly, but it's happening. Well, that's really interesting. That should be of even greater concern if what you're you're saying is correct. If, in fact, there's something generational going on that people are essentially not tuning out but tuning down on uh, live NFL games, uh, that's extremely problematic over the long haul, isn't it? Yeah, but I think that that's what's happening, you know. And then interesting. If you don't, and then if the if you don't have the, you know, these head-to-head competitions that really drive viewership, you know, people are going to watch their game, perhaps their team's game, but you know, they're not going to sit like they used to. I mean, in the old days, you know, like my father-in-law, it's Sunday, it's time to sit and get some popcorn, <laughs> and, and we're going to watch some football. 
<laughs> you know, what I love in the article, too, and I, you didn't bring it up probably because you're a nice guy, is Papa John's, Papa John's saying that, you know, all this protest and everything that, that's got the TV ratings down is costing them pizza sales. What the hell are these people talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's funny. Every time I've talked to anybody about that particular tidbit, they say, you know what? It wouldn't hurt if Papa John made better pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's not talk about Domino's <laughs> and Pizza Hut kicking our ass. Let's talk about the, the guys taking a knee on the field. <laughs> well, that's, um, <clears throat> and I didn't really get into that yet, but there's abundant evidence in this article to suggest that no matter which way you look at it, this whole taking the knee thing, and by, by the way, don't you love that phrase, taking the knee? <laughs> when did that, wasn't that invented about two seconds ago? Yeah, I don't know. Um, the taking the knee thing um, evidently has no impact on ratings because it, you, they can't seem to correlate it with areas that would be more sensitive to the fact that the athletes are standing. I mean, from what I can tell, not only should the athletes be standing for the, uh, the, the what is it? The, uh, national the Anthem. National Anthem, yeah. Not only should they be standing for the National Anthem, but they should be firing off rockets, <laughs> and waving flags, and uh, maybe offering free incentives and, you know, uh, blowing uh, T-shirts out into the crowd or something. Because it's, it's not just the fact that these people are on their knee that's making people tune out. In fact, the evidence indicates it's not that at all. I had a couple of thoughts on this. <laughs> One is the impact of highlights, which the piece kind of breezes over that, the, that, that impact of highlights. But, you know, there is, I think, a group for whom the highlights are the only thing that matters. And in, as you say, in a, in a, for an audience which is busy, which has a life, which doesn't want to invest Sunday in sitting around watching an overlong game with overlong commercial breaks and overlong pauses and overlong timeouts, the idea that you could catch up on this through social media, through highlights, through any of the various platforms, um, to me, that's attractive. Yeah. I think that might be contributing to some of the erosion. Now, um, so there's that, there's the presence of more games and more places, but here's what I have to ask. When you have more games and more places and more ways to get more of this content that's monetized separately and more highlights that are themselves monetized, what you're talking about is a bigger platform and greater monetization. So in the long run, do you really care if the network ratings decline, especially if, as I believe that no matter how much within reason, those network ratings decline, they're not going to budge on the amount they pay the leagues at all. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? I think that as long as football is what football is, which is still infinitely bigger than anything else, right. um, it's going to be worth more money when renegotiation time comes along, not less, just as the top-rated TV programs are worth more now, even though they deliver a lot less than MASH used to back in the day, right? Well, you know, <laughs> if... It depends whether advertising is going to be a major component of these various streaming platforms. So is Amazon, if Amazon buys, you know, the NFL games, the rights to these games, are, are they going to run as many ads? Are the ads going to be as lucrative? I, I guess will all the eyeballs for network TV move to streaming and will all of the same ad inventory and, and price and, and all that, will that move along with it? No, but I, I don't think it will, but I'm saying it won't matter because the inventory that's available on network television will be worth more no matter how many of those eyeballs within reason oh, move I see to other saying. platforms. Yeah, that's I what I'm saying. Yeah. The sheer scarcity of a 
you know, Goliath hit, even if it's a smaller Goliath than it used to be, will drive up the value of that inventory compared to any other way these no, people could no, spend I, their money. Okay, I get what your point is now. So it, really, it doesn't matter if you try to cut the ca- the cable on, you know, uh, on your on your television set that when when the cable company sees you doing that they just increase your internet fee that's right i, I mean it'll increase <laughs> one way or the, the other it'll increase town, right? <laughs> either because you're paying more for your uh, cable subscription or your over-the-top subscription whatever it is or the advertisers paying more for what's left on network right. television the nfl's chief uh, media and business officer brian rollap said something interesting he said we're always looking at how you strike the balance between availability of games and exposure of teams to a national audience and a scarcity of windows. To which I say, he's envisioning no balance at all. Right. <laughs> because there is no scarcity of windows, right? Right. Um, and, as far, and have you seen any sign that they're concerned about uh, uh, minimizing exposure of teams to a national audience? <laughs> or availability of games? No. Where, there's no... I mean, all of this stuff has been artificially scarce in the past because of the scarcity of channels and scarcity of time. And since that scarcity is over, it looks to me like they're trying to fill, you know, this kind of infinite uh, pipe with uh, infinite content. Yeah, I mean, the the, the really the the big challenge that the NFL has to think about and worry about is, you know, if parents don't let kids play football because of the concussion issue and kids don't get into football and kids don't watch football and it doesn't become something that they're interested in and they go some other direction, baseball, soccer, whatever it is, that's what they're going to have to worry about. Well, that's true too. That may be part of the generational change you're talking about. Yep. Uh, they close this up by saying there is far more content than ever before across devices. Yep. Uh, which could be creating a general malaise around live sports content. I don't get that. The NFL also counters uh, that while ratings are down, this is this I think is the nub. The sport still is the strongest performing on television. Yep. What does that say? NFL games account for 18 of the 20 most watched television shows this season. The NFL is holding much stronger than anything else at San Francisco 49ers Chief Executive Judd York. We're in the middle of a shift of how people consume media. And that shift of how people consume media, even if it shrinks the number of people watching on the network, I predict will not shrink the value you watch and see in four or five years if the value of those games doesn't rise, not fall. No, you're probably right. That's the biggest show going, right? It's the biggest show going, and we all want a big show. And the, the fewer shows you have that are big, the more we value the shows That's that remain. That's exactly right. You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. The future of ad agencies may not be advertising at all. I threw this one at you, Tom, as kind of a, <laughs> a left-bank shot, and somebody will have to explain to me what that is. But <laughs> it's, it's about... It's from, um, I don't know, I think it's from Old uh, Fast Company. You should have went with a Hail Mary pass, because that would have well, been I, keeping That with... I know. I know <laughs> okay. what that one is, because there's religion in it. Um, so this is about the uh, ad agency RGA. All right, to call RGA an ad agency is a bit misleading. Sure, it's created award-winning work for brands like Nike, Beats, and Samsung. But over the years, the company has also branched out to include a venture practice, business consultancy, design, and more. In an industry that's quickly and constantly changing, thanks to technological innovation and consumer behavior, the chairman of the company sees self-disruption as a key business operating principle. In other words, Tom, the idea that they don't stand for anything is why (laughs) they're ready for anything. I thought this was interesting because I was trying to decide whether 
this was an example of a, a company that was, you know, kind of um, uh, 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 surfing the trends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pivoting as necessary. Or it was an example of a company that never achieved a, uh, a significant leadership position in its category and thus had to pivot. Yeah. Well, I see it as the uh, former. But listen, I love RGA. I like I like their work, right? What I find interesting, though, is how people describe what they do. Because in the article, Greenberg said that disrupting the agency business is something we feel pretty confident in. That's he, he's not disrupting anything. They're evolving. They're innovating right. in new in new channels, in new creative ways, and you know, with the consulting business to do what to help solve clients' business problems. That's right. So maybe the word advertising is what's changing with the times. You know what I mean? Kind of like the word yeah. telephone. I mean, no one ever uses it to place or receive phone calls, so that's changing. So maybe the word advertising is changing as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's true if you think about it. I mean, the, what is the role of an ad agency? It's ideally to help a, a client move uh, goods and services. Um well, uh, there are n- multiple ways to help a client move goods and services, and those ways could be uh, related to uh, the nature of their business in the form of a venture practice, uh, consulting their business on various efficiencies, uh, design to make those products and services move more effectively. So in other words, all of these are kind of natural, uh, uh, natural extensions, if you will, of the idea that we're here to help you achieve your business goals, whatever they are. Um, and, and if you want to call that advertising agency or not call that advertising agency, technically it doesn't really matter, does it? No, not at all. Not. So that, like I said, this whole disrupting thing, it was, it'd be like uh, somebody asking me about self-publishing my recent book, and I said to them, disrupting the publishing business is something I feel pretty confident in. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Why would I even be saying that? Every successful business shifts in reaction to new technology, cultural changes, consumer desires. And, and you know what? <laughs> and I thought you sent me this just so I could rant on this again. I've mentioned this so many times. So this time I pulled my book off the shelf. Uh-oh, here we go. Now, this is the book I wrote, the branding book, in 2005. And I'm going to read to you exactly <laughs> what RGA is doing. Okay? It's, it's no surprise. Here's what I wrote. I wrote... Here's how business used to work. You introduced a few new products or services, and then you tried to sell them to as many people as possible. You went wide. This way of operating finally produced way too many similar options and not enough time for people to evaluate and choose among them. It also tended to dilute the strength of the brand's relationships with its customers. It was simply too easy to switch to something new and better. Today, it's all about going deep with relevant products and services and information into a unique subculture. (coughs) That's exactly what they're doing. They're broadening Mm -hmm. what they do so that they can build relationships with these executives at these leading brands and hold on to those relationships by satisfying their very (coughs) desires, by going deeper and deeper. You were ahead of the curve. I, look, at I was so ahead of it, I got you choked up over there. <laughs> I know, I'm all choked up, and I don't have a cough button. I'm just realizing I don't have a cough button. It's a real problem. I was getting um, nervous. I thought I lost you. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing I liked about this article that I thought was, was useful is that it's a reminder to us all, no matter what we do, that if you're in the business to provide some value to the end user, then you need to understand what that value is, what they are really buying from you. Right. Otherwise, you're just going to sell them the widgets that you happen to have in inventory. And ultimately... You know, in, in the case of, you know, research, if I'm selling research to broadcasters, they really want greater ratings. Right. And, you know, if the, these ad agencies, ultimately, I presume their clients want, um, well, it's going to vary, but in, in, at least at some level, they want uh, goods and services to move uh, uh, in greater volumes. That, that's it. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, it, and, and how you achieve that, um, you have more kind of degrees of freedom for that now than ever. The problem, of course, as we all know, is not every one of those options is as profitable as the one that got you to the dance in the first place. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. But look, here's the yeah. thing. If they, don't, if they don't do this, right, the big consultancies, you know, the McKinsey's and, and Boston Consulting Group, those guys, they're coming after the ad agency's business. Of course they are. Right? Why not? Of course. And I, I found actually that to be one of the more interesting things about this article, which is it really seems to exist as a self-promotional piece planted in Fast Company. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> um, what it looked because like. Because there's really no, there's this, this is really, there's not that much unusual about what these guys are doing, other than the fact that they're awakening to what their audience, their, their clients, their audience wants. And that should have been their business proposition from the get-go. Yep. You're absolutely right. All right, Tom, it's time for rants and raves. I'll let you talk while I figure out whether I need to choke or not. <laughs> okay. Well, this is definitely a rant. I'm ranting because oh, good. because my, I'm going to tell you, my system is all messed up with, with this foolish changing of the clocks. <laughs> like, but three days in a row, I, I've like stumbled down my stairs and my wife has said to me, why are you still getting up an hour early? I said, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I'm losing it. So, so this is a rant, but it's also a look behind the curtain of uh, motivation and intention. Because I'm pretty sure most people think daylight savings time was invented to give farmers an extra hour of light to work in the fields. You mean it's not? No, I checked it out. Just like so many other cultural stories, that's complete bullshit. In fact, farmers hated it because what it did <laughs> was it cut an hour of daylight in the morning, which left them with less time to get their goods to the market. Now, see, the extra hour of evening daylight got more people shopping. It was the, ah. yeah, it was the Chamber of Commerce who lobbied hard for daylight savings times, along with the barbecue lobby. Jeez, that makes mm -hmm. sense. The golf mm -hmm. lobby, right? How, just a question, how influential is the barbecue lobby? <laughs> they must have been big when this was passed. <laughs> and you know what? The candy lobby got involved too because they wanted kids to be out an hour later trick or treating. So, well, this, for that one day, I guess that makes sense. It's a big day. So, this ridiculous cultural norm, like all other ones, was invented to get us to do things. In this case, it's to buy more stuff. So every time you see some strange cultural phenomenon or marketplace success, look deep because there's an underlying motivation. There's always some incentive behind every single experience we have in this crazy world. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm done ranting because I'm getting tired. And it, I, I need to get. And this. it very <laughs> it very often has to do with money, doesn't it? I've noticed that. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> I I have something. I have only one for you this week. Oh, I'm, I'm, that's I'm not going like economical. You. I know. <laughs> um, so this is from Tube Filter. This the article is titled. IKEA's ingenious pre-roll ads turn the viewer into a voyeur. Have oh. you heard about this? Oh boy, no. You're not gonna. You're not gonna believe this. Oh boy. Pre-roll advertising is a hard game to play. Most viewers would rather skip ahead to their desired videos than stick around to watch commercials. So, brands that wish to drive any sort of interest through their YouTube spots must do whatever it takes to capture attention. Enter IKEA. The Swedish retailer, working with their agency, of course, has devised pre-roll ads that run for several minutes, Tom, and feature young people who are perturbed at the viewers who are watching them. What? CNBC, which reported on the ads and captured videos of them, noted that the clips are part of IKEA's Where Life Happens campaign. In each spot, IKEA grabs attention within the first five seconds, which is always a smart move, by having a teenager explain that it's okay to skip ahead. Should the viewer stick around, they'll look on as the teen washes dishes or makes out with her boyfriend. The latter of those scenarios plays out over a whopping eight-minute runtime, <laughs> making it less of a commercial and more of a branded short film, which, by the way, is a fancy name for commercial. Uh, <laughs> Ikea's, and this is, again, is the article now, Ikea's pre-roll ads are so boring, they're actually interesting. Well, speak for yourself, tube filter. Uh, Adweek, in its coverage of the campaign, explains that this, quote, irresistibly pointless, end quote, quality, you're going to love this, is exactly what the Swedish furniture maker is going for. It's hard to create art through the medium of YouTube pre-rolls, but IKEA has pulled it off. I would expect nothing less from the brand that managed to make its modern Scandinavian design aesthetic and, 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 and you, that's, that's, not, that's not appropriate, a ubiquitous part of American homes. <laughs> So, so let's, let's just break this down. I don't know, should you? So, <laughs> so Ikea essentially does these ultra-long ads where nothing happens, but you get to look on at what is obviously a pre-recorded video. This is not, you know, anything's going to happen live video feed here. <laughs> um, of, you know, attractive young people. By the way, the guy making out with the girl has a hairstyle that looks just like Prince Valiant. <laughs> <laughs> which alone should drive some tune in, but n- not for eight minutes. So nothing happens. So the idea of this irresistibly pointless, so in other words, boring people to death is suddenly on brand for Ikea. And the idea of creating fake voyeur is perceived as an effective use of pre-roll time. I, I, look, <laughs> it got the media attention. <laughs> Well, that's true. I, it did. It got the media attention, which I think makes one wonder. Oh, here we go. Is that the goal all along? You get and the I media have, attention. You and I have talked about these these theories constantly. It could be, right? It could be. Imagine if it got picked up by the national networks and they, and they showed it in the morning at how ridiculous it was. They wouldn't care, would they? IKEA, said, they'd go, "Wow, that's great." I guess not. It's uh, it's just interesting, though, that something that and I I think no one is I, no one has the nerve to say this is absurd. No, you just did. <laughs> well, I just did, <laughs> but the people at Tube Filters seem to think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, maybe and they even, were in on and it. And note note that I said 
CNBC, which reported on the ads and captured videos of them. CNBC. Maybe they were in on it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. And we know how important that is because how else are we going to get on CNBC? Yeah, don't make us do anything foolish, please. No, you know what we should do, Tom, is just have 20 to 30 minutes of us saying and doing nothing. Let's do it. Because then we'll get picked up by CNBC, oh, big, which big will re- record us doing nothing and then show it to their <laughs> viewers slash listeners, and it, it'll be the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also catch us at Art19.com, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Google Play Music. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asecker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Catch up on all the older episodes, which are still quite relevant and tasty. At our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the amazing producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. You can find him at Jeff-Schmidt.com. For Tom A. I, for, I'll say for the it. other for, guy. For Tom A. Sacker and the great Mark Ramsey. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.